Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Bandike Undercovers for August 2020, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with Carl Safina about his book, Becoming Wild, How Animal Cultures Raise Families, Create Beauty, and Achieve Peace. New York Times bestselling author Carl Safina brings readers close to three non-human cultures, what they do, why they do it, and how life is for them. Now, some people insist that culture is strictly a human feat. What are they afraid of? This book looks into three cultures of other than human beings in some of Earth's remaining wild places. It shows how if you're a sperm whale, a scarlet macaw, or a chimpanzee, you too experience your life with the understanding that you are an individual in a particular community. You too are who you are, not by genes alone. Your culture is a second form of inheritance. You receive it from thousands of individuals, from pools of knowledge passing through generations like an eternal torch. I began my interview with Carl Safina by asking about his lifelong interest in the animal world. Where and how and why did it begin? I have no idea. (laughs) Ever since I was a very small boy, I've been completely fascinated with animals and anything about how they move, how they look. So um, I just, uh, I just love them. Um, it's particularly weird because I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, where basically there are no wild animals, uh, for the most part. Um, <laughs> and um, a lot of my early experiences were going to the zoo or even going to the Museum of Natural History in Manhattan, where all the animals there are, are dead and stuffed and in, in these uh, incredible dioramas, which when I was a little kid, you know, I, I those were my only windows on what the rest of the world looked like. So it was an awesome, awesome place. But um, I just decided as, uh, as my experiences grew a little bit and I started to come in contact with real trees and real birds and um, things like that, that I wanted to um, never be far from it and try to, you know, try to weave that into my entire life, meaning make that my career. So that's why. But exactly why, I have no idea. Let's jump into this new book of yours, Becoming Wild, How Animal Cultures Raise Families, Create Beauty, and Achieve Peace. Now, you focus on three specific animals here. You're talking about and writing about sperm whales, chimpanzees, and macaws. Why did, why did you focus on, the, on these three animals? Well, I had to first look at which animals um, are cultural, not, you know, there are a lot of, well, first of all, culture are, culture is the, the, the um, habits, the traditions, the attractions that you learn socially and that are passed along socially. So, of course, humans have a lot of culture, but there are some other animals, quite, quite a few, that, that do, and quite a few that don't. So I had to figure out, first of all, which ones do, and then secondly, which of the ones that do are well enough studied to sort of, sort of lead the discussion on it, in a sense, in the book, and then um, have a sort of a diversity of 
those. Uh, so of the candidate list, I didn't want two that were closely related in, in um, some way. I, I wanted things that looked a little bit different. So, you know, one of the candidates, for instance, was hyenas in East Africa. Uh, but, but I also was going to do chimpanzees in East Africa. So um, it would be better, instead of hyenas in East Africa, sperm whales in the Caribbean, in addition to chimpanzees in East Africa. And then I wanted to get a bird species in there because I, I really love birds, and I was very, very intrigued about the macaws. The first time I saw them in the wild, uh, like no other bird I, I have ever seen, and I've, I've actually studied birds, professionally in wild places in a, in a lot of sites um, and like no other birds I've ever seen macaws when they are in flocks they're they're in pairs in flocks so if you see 12 macaws it's very obviously six pairs that are flying together they, they're very very close to who their mate or partner is they obviously really know who they're with and that intrigued me a lot and they've been they're very beautiful and they live in a spectacularly um, uh, just an awesome sort of a sacred place. These, you know, these rainforests in, in the Amazon region of South America. So uh, that's why I chose those three. And I'm curious, what is there a, a, an animal that we might be just perhaps you that you didn't write about in your book, but that does have a culture that might just completely surprise us? Do do, do any insects have have culture or any? I've, I've been reading. I'm kind of a, a fan of bees and bumblebees in particular, and I'm just astounded at how smart these creatures are. Do anything that anything like insects have anything that could be called culture, or, or is that a little bit too much of a stretch no it's not i mean if you look at the definition that i that i mentioned things that are acquired so habits and, and attractions that are acquired socially and, and passed along socially some insects do do that um bees have some culture some aspects of what they do are are socially learned and cultural and the most incredible thing that i came across which is which is in the book becoming wild is that uh, some researchers noticed that with fruit flies that have different colored, uh, I think it's, I, I can't remember now if it's eyes or wings. I think it's different colored eyes. If, uh, this will sound ridiculous, but if a virgin fruit fly sees uh, another female mate with a male who has certain colored eyes, in this, in this one type of fruit fly where there are two colors, she, the virgin, will prefer to mate with a male who has the eye color that she has seen another female mate with. She learns her preference by observing what another female does. And the researchers specifically called that cultural in fruit flies. Now, the, you know, among the other mind-boggling aspects of that, is when you consider how tiny a fruit fly's brain is, uh, you know, where is there room in there for that kind of learning? But there is learning in a, a wide array of insects. That's, that's been proven in other studies. You can actually condition insects to respond the way, you know, like if you ring a bell and a dog starts to associate the, every time it hears the bell, they're, they're about to be fed or the door is going to open or something like that. In, so, at least some insects can be condi can 
be trained to have a conditioned response like that. So um, the more you look at the living world, the more completely beyond belief it is. Incredible. Just absolutely incredible. Tell us how much how much time did you spend doing your research for this book and then and then writing Becoming Wild? Well, other than my entire life, the answer would be about two years from start to finish, roughly. Yeah, about two years. But, you know, a lot of the thinking that went into choosing the subject, for instance, um, came out of, you know, things I've been thinking about and puzzling over for for a long time, ever since I was a student or or, or even, uh, even a little bit longer than that. And, and tell us more about the more about what you write about in terms of these these three um, animals that you focus on macaws and especially chimpanzees and, and sperm whales. What were some of the most surprising discoveries that you made doing your research, Carl? Yeah, I think the the most surprising overall discovery is that culture causes individuals to form groups. And, you know, that works exactly the same way with humans. Humans form groups around various aspects of culture. We have team hats or religious insignias or even languages that are, of course, language is a cultural thing. And, and these various cultural aspects, they, they allow us to form group identities, and individuals form groups because of culture. But what I didn't realize really until I started looking at all these animals is that another thing that culture does, and it does this very much in humans as well, is it causes the groups to avoid each other. And that has major implications for the history of life on Earth, because one of the ways that life diversifies is that groups within a species become isolated from other groups within their same species. And what I realized while writing this book is that you don't have to be stranded on an island of no return for that to happen. Culture can do it. Culture can start the process of groups of, groups of individuals within a species isolating themselves from the rest of the species. And that means that they can respond and relate differently to the environment by forming different specialties, specializations about how they hunt or what counts as courtship or things like that, uh, where they find food, what food they eat, how they specialize on, on getting food, all of that. And then that starts, uh, a, a process of evolution into that specialty. We we think of evolution as um, you you sort of evolve to specialize, but what culture can do is it can create a, a specialization culturally, and and then the genetic part of evolution kind of has to catch up with that and adapt you better to the specialization that has already started by cultural transmission, which is really a, a, a very kind of a, a, a new and um, 
a very surprising way to look at what's happening in the world. And it, I, I think, I, I feel convinced that it accounts for a lot of the living diversity that we see when we see a lot of very, very closely related species. Um, the origin of some of that that we see, I, I'm pretty sure now, was cultural. And that has been studied with specific fishes in various lakes. There are fish called cichlids in the lakes of East Africa, where within the same lake, you you may have over 1,000 species of these cichlids, and they can't go anywhere. There, something is making them isolate and evolve differently within the same lake. And what people are now starting to see is that it is cultural things that the uh, the baby fish learn from their parents, their these specializations, and they carry those forward. A, a lot of fish do not have parental care. These fish do have a lot of parental care. So it's just, I mean, um, it's one of these onion peeling kind of things. You just, you peel one layer and you realize that there's layers all the way down and it just becomes incredibly, incredibly interesting. Um, specifically, the cultures of these different species is also really amazing. The, the sperm whales, for instance, have a social organization that's almost exactly like elephants. The females live together for their entire life. It, a, a family of sperm whales is usually um, an older matriarch with her sisters and daughters and all of their babies. When the males get to be adolescent, they leave but the females always stay in the family, and that creates a layer of group identity, the family layer. And then families create clans, um, and in the clans, all the families socialize, but the clan will never socialize with any family from a different clan. And the only other animal known where individuals can recognize whether a total stranger is a member of their group or not is sperm whales and human beings. Those are the only two animals known. All, all the other animals that live in groups, they have to know all the members of their groups. So with the chimpanzees, for instance, they may live in a group of 100, but they all they all basically know each other and they know who's Who's in their group? They know they know their own territory. They know if uh, a strange young female suddenly appears because females come in and out from other groups. But the, the, in the chimpanzees, the males never leave their territory where they were born, and chimpanzee groups are hostile to adjacent chimpanzee groups, even though they will off they will you know generally accept and absorb a young female who arrives from a different group. And this is this is really rather similar to how humans are with um, our tribal um, territories or our national borders. We, we may be hostile to the strangers who live out there, but uh, we also do accept and assimilate immigrants who come in, although we may give them a rough time at first, which often happens with the chimpanzees. So um, the you know the parallels are really really interesting, and the differences are really incredible. Um, getting back to how the sperm whales do know who they are and who they're with, and what clan they belong to, they make a pattern of clicks that are called codas, and they are they are simple.
codes. They're they're like simple Morse codes. They announce, I am this individual, I, I am with this family, and we are of this clan. And they announce that while they are traveling for hundreds or thousands of miles in the ocean. It's just totally mind-boggling. It truly is astounding, astounding, astounding. Carl, on a daily basis, we just read these horrific, dire things about about humans destroying the world for non-human animals. Can you please give us some glimmer of hope that there is still some way that we can um, stop doing this on some level? I mean, what 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 are your thoughts about this? What are just any steps that the average person can do to just try to keep these animals and the animal world just uh, alive because oh goodness some some of the news just gets truly depressing yes it does it's very dispiriting and especially now it's even more dispiriting i mean i would say that the best advice is honor your humanity humans are the most empathetic and the most compassionate of all animals we are also the most creative of all animals but at the same time we are the cruelest and we are the most destructive and we are all of those things together but if we honored what was best in us and and what was most most human in us our compassion and our creativity we would easily make for ourselves a better world and and right now if you look around not only what we are doing to the rest of the living world but what we are doing to one another in our own communities it is not an encouraging time the the tiny little differences that we amplify and blow out of proportion for purely purely cultural reasons Um, The way that we are taught to regard people who are not in our group and not in our clan has uh, the effect of creating an incredible amount of misery and suffering uh, and wasted time and energy among people, Not, not to mention what we are doing to the other animals and the rest of the living world. Thanks for listening to Martin Bandike Undercovers for August 2020. Our interview was with Carl Safina about his book, Becoming Wild, How Animal Cultures Raise Families, Create Beauty, and Achieve Peace. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library.